Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and this week I'm interviewing Patrick Hanlon to discuss the seven elements that help brands build belief systems. But before we get into that, I want to thank FreshBooks who has sponsored this episode of the Logo Geek podcast. FreshBooks is an accounting software designed for creative professionals like you that will save you hours each month on time-consuming admin and paperwork. One feature that I particularly like is the ability to set up subscription-based billing. So if you have any clients that need to pay monthly, you can automate that with FreshBooks, meaning that you'll get paid automatically each month without having to lift a finger. FreshBooks is well worth checking out for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial. So if you want to give it a go, head to freshbooks.com forward slash logageek and enter logageek in how did you hear about this section. So a few weeks back, I received an email for a potential guest and that email included a link to a TED talk that discussed something called primal branding. As it wasn't something that I'd previously heard of, I immediately went to go and watch that video, which is only about 15 minutes long. And that's a talk from this week's guest, Patrick Hanlon, uh, where he discussed how branding has evolved to be about the quality of the community that you build around a business and how the brands that really thrive have a belief system to attract people to that community. Once Patrick had realized this, he went on to develop a system called Primal Branding, where he works out seven key elements that create, drive and sustain a community to create that overall belief system. Those seven elements are story, creed, icons, rituals, language, anti-believers and lastly, leader. I'll link to that video in the show notes as it's uh, well worth watching and you can find it in the show notes for this episode at logageek.uk forward slash 6.9. After watching the video, I really loved the approach. So I made sure to invite Patrick on so that we can all learn more together about his approach to branding. Patrick is the author of the book Primal Branding and founder of the agency of the same name who have worked with a long list of household names including Domino's, Google, Johnson & Johnson, Levi, PayPal, Pepsi, Samsung. I mean this list goes on so these guys clearly know what they're doing and a lot of big brands are interested in the seven steps of Primal Branding. So to discuss Primal Branding and learn more about it, here is the interview with Patrick Hanlon. So in your TED talk, you started by stating that branding today has evolved. Could you share with us what it was previously and what it's become now? Yeah, I think that brands um, have been curious creatures, haven't they? I mean, yeah. the um, it's really been, brands are really like molding fog, is something I've said in the past. And uh, the if you ask 100 people what a brand is, you get 100 different answers. And that's been really, uh, I don't know, is that a paradox? Because in advertising and marketing, everything else has a number. We have sales goals, we have uh, awareness goals and and so forth. Uh, But when it comes to the most important thing that we're trying to achieve, a brand, 
everyone's trying to create a brand, right? And when it came to that, uh, there was really no sort of structure for how to do it rather than uh, instant, um, other than uh, by imitation. So we look at brands that we all know and love like Apple, Nike, Starbucks, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and um, uh, you basically imitate them. And, uh, and so um, years ago, people were talking about, about the Apple tribes or the Apple cult, excuse me, and Nike tribes. And no one really knew how to do that other than imitating them. And so I had a problem. Um, First of all, I'm, I'm not an academic, I'm not a journalist, I'm a practitioner and uh, worked in advertising, marketing and, and brand, branding in uh, Manhattan for years and uh, on big brands, famous brands. And the um, people were talking about the Nike tribes and the Apple cults, but they didn't know how to do it. And so I had a problem with a client and I started to think about uh, in reverse, really, I started to think about why do we believe in some products and services and not in others, and that led me to really deconstructing what brands were all about. And when I once I did that, I realized, well, there's we've been going at it completely wrong, in in my mind anyway. And this was back in 2001, and uh, I came up with this notion while I was working in my garden in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> mowing the lawn and stuff and uh and it just became a speech that i had and i bounced off a bunch of friends uh, who worked on apple or worked on american express and other things and uh and they thought it had some validity and so this was june july 2001 and august came along and no one does anything in new york city in august uh, everyone's in the hamptons or on the beach or someplace cape cod or something and so i just put it on hold and I had a speech scheduled for October and uh, started uh, arranging for meetings on this in September. And then September 11th happened and the world was flipped on its head and no one really cared about people had other things to think about other than a new branding idea. And so I really just put it on uh, hold and uh, put it in with um, my bag of speeches that I had. And at the time, I would be called to give speeches. And um, a couple of years later, someone came up to me after I gave the speech, the primal branding speech, and they said, uh, asked me if I knew Rapai's work. And um, I said, yes, I did. And uh, he said, well, I think I like Rapai's work and I like your idea. And, and I think I'm going to combine them to create my own thing. <laughs> and I went, well, it's pretty brazen. But the... Uh, and I was telling a friend of mine that, and I was laughing about it, and they said, Pat, you need to write a book, and so I did. And um, the, that book is called uh, Primal Branding, and it's in, I don't know, seven or eight languages and taught in universities around the world. It's required reading at YouTube, and it really goes into how you break down uh, a company or a product or service. Uh, we call them people, places, and things, things being products and services. Um, and breaks it down into seven pieces, what we call primal code, creation stories, uh, creed, icons, rituals, um, the way we talk about it, a lexicon, what, uh, what we don't want to be, you know, non-believers, and then leader. And once you bundle that together, you um, create a belief system, 
and uh, a system of belief. And that attracts others who share your beliefs. And those people want to belong to your brand or community um, more than any other. And they advocate for you. I think, so that's how it's changed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can see. I can Sorry. see. Yeah, because I, I know you created the the seven principles of primal branding, which you just went through. Then, uh, would you be happy to expand on some of those? Because I, I know, for example, um, you really mentioned in, in that same talk that um, brands is all about community building around the product, and it's actually should be a, like a, a belief system rather than. Uh, focusing primarily on the the product which is like the the old way of doing it um so i'm quite curious to find out from you like how do you go about creating that community and those seven principles that you spoke about yeah well it's really about you know and the other thing traditionally is that people always think of the brand as being the logo right yeah, yeah. or these days we think about it as being the uh the website uh, and what we get online. And those are functions of the brand, but they're not really the brand itself. The brand itself, it really is, and this is where the whole thing flips around, um, especially back in 2001, right? And that is that the, uh, the brand is not the product or the service. The brand is the community of people that use that product and service, uh, are passionate about it, advocate for it, tell other people about it. And their passion um, is really what helps that product or service succeed. And that's the, the missing link in everything that we've been doing in terms of marketing, advertising, quote unquote, branding, and so forth, is that we've been looking at it all wrong right. and the so when we talk today about bottom-up marketing and so forth it really starts to get at that but still um people do not have and this is why primal branding is uh so admired i guess by some people uh is that it is systematic and so when you break can break down a product or a company according to here's the way we started, here's what we're all about, this is why we come to work in the morning, read. Uh, here's how you identify us, whether it's through the logo or product design or smell or taste, touch, et cetera. The, um, and then how we use you, how you use, are supposed to use this thing um, and all the rituals that go into it. Um, the words that we use to describe it, I scrawny skinny decaf latte, right? Mm -hmm. Or iPod, mm -hmm. iMac, mm -hmm. et cetera, iTunes. Um, and then what it's not, never wants to become. One of the great conceits of marketing is that we think that our product or service is so incredible that of course everyone wants to use us. But of course, uh, for as many people that go to Starbucks, there are an equal or more people that go to um, uh, Tim Horton or um, Dunkin Donuts or Cologne or <laughs> Blue Bottle and, and other places, right? And then, then who is the leader? And then once, so once you're able to wrap those seven things together, you create this surround, or actually you create a narrative that pings both the 
rational and the emotional parts of our brain that just helps things make sense to us. And if you make more sense than I do, you win. And so what we do with clients then is we deconstruct them. What, where'd you start? What are you all about? Why do you guys come to work in the morning? You know, what are your icons? What are your rituals? Um, uh, another word for ritual is process. Uh, so what are those processes internally? And uh, we use this, by the way, to build internal brands inside the company as well. Uh, that was really why our first projects was to create uh, culture, internal culture, uh, back in 2000, probably three or four. And then um, what are you not, never want to become, and who's the leader? And once we are able to pull that together into what we call a strategic brand narrative, um, we are able to then distribute those seven pieces uh, as stories out into the universe and spread them across social, digital, and traditional media and experiences. It's a really, it's a really nice way to uh, look at it and and approach uh, branding because um, I've I've read lots of different books on branding and and like you said, there's like a hundred different ways of explaining uh, what it is. I, I've always favored the, the Martin Neumeyer approach, uh, which is that a brand is a gut feeling. But I think, you know, that same principle applies to, you know, what, what you've explained about it being um, a, a community and, and the tribe. And um, it seems very forward thinking because I know um, I, I attended a workshop with uh, Marty a, a couple of months back and he was saying that building tribes is the future of branding and it seems like you've been doing that for uh, for some time and it, it seems like a really interesting way to to approach branding and to um, you know for businesses to apply that because you know the, the most successful brands out there now are all about tribe and community so it makes a lot of sense to uh, work in that way. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, Marty's great. Marty's a designer. But, and, and the thing is, is, yeah, it is, in a sense, that gut feeling. I mean, that's the primal part of it, right? Yeah. But how do you create that gut feeling from scratch? Yeah. You know, how do you, uh, in some ways, it's um, engineering, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you understand mm -hmm. that, uh, I mean, every company or product, service, um, people, uh, cities, uh, they all got started somehow for some reason. And whether it was someone who had a great idea of making something better, faster, cheaper, stronger, right, uh, uh, more powerful, um, or someone just decided to plant themselves, you know, on the Mississippi River, <laughs> where, it, <laughs> where it, on the confluence of the Mississippi and the Ohio or something. I don't know, does the Ohio flow into the Mississippi? I don't even know. But anyway, <laughs> they build a city, in other words. Um, you know, they, they all started somewhere. And so there are reasons why people want to live in Manhattan rather than Brooklyn or Brooklyn rather than um, uh, out in Los Angeles or San Francisco and, and vice versa, right? And so the, we decide where we want to live according to the same things. And uh, they, they either have meaning or they don't have meaning. And so this process really, or this way of engineering is really about taking something. I mean, when you're thinking, so we launch new products and services or we help re-engineer existing ones, right? For 
uh, brands like Levi's or Johnson and Johnson, Kraft, et cetera, where they're, they have brands that are hundred years old, right? And so how do they make them relevant for a whole new generation, which they've done before, right? And so how do they do it all over again? And so part of this is, is to look at where they've been, how they started. A lot of times when companies get stuck, you have to go back to the original creation story and how do they get started and why? And a quick example of that is Motorola. They started off by making radios and so forth. And then, so how does Motorola exist in the new age? Well, mobile phones are radios. <laughs> they're just handheld, they're tiny radios. And so the notion that Motorola is building, you know, the innards for smartphones and so forth is not that far-fetched, right? And so, there are a lot of stories like that. And so the, when brands lose themselves, sometimes it's, uh, I mean, we did a whole iconography. So, so we're talking, our, our audience here is graphic designers, right? And so yeah. we did a whole iconography project for Levi's where we started looking at, okay, what were the symbols for, Levi's started in what, 1849, the gold rush, 49ers all heading out to San Francisco, what, was, what were the symbols? What was the iconography of that era? And what were people looking at? And we just really gave them a whole new perspective on their brand. The clothes and it changed how they designed. Um, they came up with new icons and refreshed them. So I wanted to ask you about origin story. Um, I know that there's a lot of brands out there that have uh, really interesting backstories like uh, Levi, for example, and I know Apple's got a great origin story. Um, uh, a lot of companies have great uh, origin stories, but how do you handle it when the company just doesn't have an exciting origin story? Like how, are you, how are you extracting an interesting story from companies and um, turning that into something that people can be excited by and engage by when that story just isn't really there. Yeah, the um, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. The um, well, part of it is just finding out how the how the company did start. Like um, a great one is um, Maxwell House Coffee. You know, we asked Max the guys at Maxwell House, which is now today a part of Kraft, right, or Mondelez, and we asked them, you know, where did this where did Maxwell House come from? And they said, well, it was part of the international foods acquisition. <laughs> and, and we did laugh and we said, well, what was it before that? You know? And so what we dug up was that a hundred years ago, there was a hotel called the Maxwell house in Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where they served the co That's where the coffee came from. One day, the president of the United States uh, went down and had breakfast at the hotel and the waiter came over to refill the president's coffee cup. And Teddy Roosevelt put his hand over the cup and said, wait, this coffee is so good. It's good to the last drop. Right. So that's one story. Another quick story actually also involves coffee is um, there was a guy who owned um, and this was told to me by the uh, president or CEO of Keurig. Um, so I don't know if it's true or not, but let's just assume it is. But the guy who owned zigzag rolling papers. Um, who he had inherited the, um, that 
the zigzag rolling paper company from his grandfather, I think. And it was the 1880s or 90s, 90s, I think. And he didn't want to own zigzag rolling papers anymore. There was no future in it. And um, so he sold the company and he moved up to Vermont uh, next onto a lake. And every morning, uh, Mr. Zigzag went down to the local coffee shop to uh, have his cup of coffee. And um, one day he went down there and have a cup of coffee and newspaper. And one day he went down and there was a sign on the door that they were closing the coffee shop. And he walked in and he said, what, hey, what's going on? You know, this is the end of his life, pretty much. Uh, what's he going to do? Where's he going to get his coffee? And um, they, the owner said, well, I'm getting out of the business. It's, you know, early mornings and not making any money. And the only way to make money is to have a coffee roaster. Everyone's roasting their own coffee. And Zig, Mr. Zigzag said, well, how much does it cost for a coffee roaster? And the guy says, too much money. Never mind. And Mr. Zigzag, you know, he's at his wit's end because here's his little morning ritual. What else is he going to do in the mornings? And um, he said, well, how much is it? And the guy goes, it's too much money. Don't worry about it. I'm getting out of here. And Zigzag asks him again. The guy goes, $5,000. And so Mr. Zigzag says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll lend you the $5,000 as long as you make me a partner in the company your company your coffee shop and that is the beginning of green mountain roasters which became keurig so somewhere in back in time there's a story so that's like finding out your uh you know this having a great idea writing on the back of an envelope or a post-it note or something and sharing it with your friends and so forth but uh, so that's sort of the rags to riches story that we all a yearn for kind of because we can involve ourselves sometimes products come out of um you know brainstorming uh, or design slams you know and sessions or de design things and uh so that's a little less organic <laughs> and um and you can tell what the where those kind of came from but uh so so then you just create a story then you have to get very creative right? And it might be a fictional story, a uh, creation story, but we all want to know where things are from, right? It's one of the first things we ask people when we meet them is where are you from? Where'd you go to high school? As a matter of fact, when I'm, I'm giving speeches, I, you know, there'll be a hundred people or a couple hundred people and I'll ask some poor person to stand up. I ask them, where were they born? And they'll say, tell me. And then I'll ask them, well, where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go to college? You know, are you married or not? And so forth. And just from those simple questions, we will feel better about in a room full of, you know, hundreds of people we will automatically as human beings feel better about that person than any other person in the room because the rest are all strangers. But now we know something about that person. And that's really the power of this. Ian, is that, these are things that we all innately want as human beings. We want to know these things as human beings because we are wired to congregate and to come together as groups. And the person that is not able to do that, the loner, or uh, being alone is a, is a form of punishment, or being isolated or cast out, etc., uh, is a form of punishment, right? And so we really want to 
a congregate. And the thing that helps us do that, things that help us come together, is story and narrative. And so when you build in these seven pieces, we are automatically attracted and that's what makes it primal, essentially yeah. primal. So this is as human as skin. And to be able to put these pieces together and to, in effect, engineer it or design it, um, whether we're building new products or whether we're building um, internal culture or whether we're building placemaking, we're building a city um, or a new part of a city or a city block, uh, all of these things, or a movement, by the way, uh, all of these things come into play. Or personal branding. Uh, we have something we call Primal Live events that we hold around the country. And in the last several sessions, uh, people from uh, the music industry have come in because they have people who are trying to create brands for themselves. And having this system, they've been calling it a system, um, they can look on their wall and go, oh, we haven't talked about our creation story for a while. Let's, let's bring that up in our media. And, or we haven't talked about icons. Let's do that. And uh, we haven't, uh, and we don't talk about them, right? We uh, have them dress up in Gucci or something, right? <laughs> Get the merchandise people in. But uh, it's a system, systematic way of surrounding uh, your advocates with story. Um, and we break down the world into zealots and potential zealots. So it's a way of reminding your zealots why we exist. And it's a way of keep maintaining relevance uh, in a world that um, where relevance is pretty, it's pretty easy to go stale, uh, depending what category you're in. If you're in fashion or music or something like that, it's pretty uh, easy to become old or tired. And mm -hmm. so um, less so in a, in a low interest category. But if you let yourself go for too long, you find out that you're in the mattress business and all of a sudden there's a Casper mattress that comes along out of the blue and knocks you out of the market. Mm. So it's good to have these tools to, um, to make, help make things happen. Yeah, I actually think it's a really simple way of looking at it, just having these seven uh, different areas that you can focus on. and um, like you said, story is one of the most important things because you can relate with it. And, you know, when I think of all my favorite brands, they've all got some kind of origin story. And um, I'm not sure how I know them. I guess it's through reading books or, um, you know, it's shared through their advertising and shared through their content, shared through their social strategies and so on. But yeah you're right all of my favorite brands that i'm that i love you know i, I don't just buy the product like i'm really drawn into their whole brand they've all got that origin story yeah i yeah i mean the uh origin story for beats they made into a movie by beats by dre mm -hmm. they make turned into a movie the defiant ones on netflix right um the creed for google they put in oh shoot i just forgot the name of the movie uh the mm -hmm. The interns was that what it was called, or the internship? Uh, the internship, I think. Yeah, something like that. You yeah. know, it's all about yeah. you know, who who fits into the Google culture and who does not, right? Uh, the founder, which is about uh, McDonald's. Mm, I love that uh, film. <laughs> not a very good story about McDonald's, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so it's probably funded by Burger King. But the um, <laughs> the uh, you know that's the, the the creation story. And so in Lego story, you know that um, you know it's all about about icons and has a nice thing wrapped around it, nice narrative wrapped around it. So it's not all about just about having articles or creating advertising or doing design or logos, but it's really multidimensional in creating experiences that people, you know, whether it's in store or online or streaming, um, mm -hmm. creating experiences between your advocates uh, with the members of your community, basically. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who has sponsored this season of the podcast. As creatives, we like to spend our time creating clever ideas that give value to our clients. But a lot of us spend way too much time running our business, doing things like creating invoices, chasing payments and logging all of our expenses. And that's actually where FreshBooks can help. It's an accounting software designed specifically for creative professionals like you that's so easy to use. You'll save hours each week on all of the time consuming admin that you're doing. And that means that you have more time to focus on designing logos and brand identities. Time-saving features in FreshBooks includes creating and sending branded invoices in about 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from your invoices, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when tax time rolls around, you'll also be able to export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. No credit card required. Just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. You, you've actually just got me thinking, like you, you mentioned Lego then, and uh, there's a series on Netflix called Toys That Made Us. And I actually watched the the Lego one only a couple of days ago and um, thinking about it, like none of the people on there are obviously the, the, the founder. I mean, he's uh, passed away a, a long time ago, but that story has remained through the company and been passed on. And now, you know, this documentary has come out and people are sharing that uh, story, not just the origin story, but everything that's progressed uh, with uh, what they're doing and and it's the developed become richer more people have been involved in it and uh ultimately that series has come out because fans of lego have shared that story and they put it into um some kind of documentary that other people can can watch so obviously those stories don't live uh with within the organization they they grow and develop through contributions and experiences by their tribe <laughs> it's interesting yeah well it's funny that you mentioned lego because um i was a creative director on lego and uh it was based on a problem with lego that i came up with primal branding <laughs> <laughs> set me right up for that but we didn't talk about that earlier but uh, it was lego that i was thinking about and um they had a problem at the time back in uh, the 2000s, 2001 or whatever, and they were actually going out of business. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I just had a gut feeling as a creative person that, <laughs> speaking of Marty, I had a gut feeling that there was something wrong. Um, 
going on with the account. And I didn't know what it was exactly, but in fact, they were going out of business. This is at the same time, uh, there's a great case study on it, that um, a um, consultant um, was looking at them and, and told the family that, you know, if you keep on doing this uh, within two years, two, three years, you're gonna be out of business. And they went, what? <laughs> and, uh, and I just thought they were not being genuine and um, I mean, we didn't have the term authentic authenticity then. I mean, we didn't we had the term, but we didn't use it the way we do today. But basically, they were being inauthentic, and I and I kind of sensed that. And um, but there were really weren't the tools that back then to figure out, you know, how to deal with that. And so, um, and, and people were talking about, you know, Nike. Nike tribes and Apple cults and all that kind of stuff, but they really didn't have, or people having a religious zeal for brands, um, but they didn't know how to manifest that uh, other than, as I said earlier, other than by through imitating them, which is why, you know, today we have uh, commercials, uh, Gatorade commercials that still look like old uh, Nike spots. Right. So. That's interesting. So, I mean, so was you involved in that um, that part of Lego to bring it back to, uh, you know, what it eventually became to to make it more authentic? Was you involved in that, or was it just that you recognised that and uh, you then developed your uh, seven principles of uh, primal branding based on the the problems that they were facing? I identified that there was something going on. Identified the fact that. This is kind of funny, actually. I um, had a very dramatic meeting <laughs> with uh, Lego where I turned off all the lights and we put votive candles down the center of the conference room table. And then I just had some script that I, I think, as I recall, some script that I um, read off of and, um, and just talked about, you know, why do we believe in some products and services and not in others and so forth. And um, I have no idea anymore what I actually said, but uh, it was the beginning of Primal Branding. And um, which after that, I kind of expanded on. I mean, I went on to a different job and so forth after that. And I uh, was working on other things. But the, uh, I read, used to write Super Bowl spots and stuff. But So I was working on other things then. But the this notion of a, um, a, a, you know, other words for zealots are customers, fans, fan is short for fanatic, right? And um, so users today and, um, and citizens even. Um, so how do you create those? And so I went on from there and, you know, over time now it's developed. So that we've done it now all over the world, which I should probably point out. Um, Right away, we were invited to China back in 2008, and we talked, spoke with them. But uh, we just came back from uh, South America over the summer, and uh, been down there. And so we've done this all over the world, and uh, Africa, and so forth. And so the, it, it, we know that it's innately human. Uh, we know that um, even though it's uh, the construct works all over the world. You have to adjust sometimes for certain uh, specific cultures, like in Asia, for example, and um, and sort of fine tune things. But but in general, the basic uh, premise is um, innately human. 
it's innately, um, it works all over the world. Um, and, um, it works. It really has worked too. Well, we've created some really incredible successes for some of the companies that we've worked with. And, um, in the beginning, we weren't exactly sure how to activate it. Now we are very sure and intentional about how we activate and we are now working with, um, starting to work with artificial intelligence and so forth. Uh, not in the sort of goofy ways that people are working with it, but really trying to create, um, um, networks of people. So when you say, when, I mean, when, when you speak about artificial intelligence, are you talking about like within your organization to replicate some element of branding? Yeah, it varies uh, according to the uh, client and the company and the brand that we're working with and the category and so forth. Um, we work across all categories, whether it's finance, you know, fashion, uh, consumer packaged goods, um, technology, and so forth. And so it varies, but um, and it varies according to what those uh, what the objectives are, and it's also according to um, what um, their capabilities are, are uh, technology-wise, right? I mean, people, some systems are new, brand new, some systems are 100 years old. And so, um, but what we try to do is um, attach AI and um, um, learning engines and so forth to find not, to find out and really concentrate on, we break down the world into zealots and potential zealots. Zealots are the people who, um, who are our advocates and uh, who use us and um, talk to us, talk about us with others, with their friends and so forth. And the potential zealots are the low-hanging fruit. They may have used us a couple times, but there's something that's holding them back. So we find out what the friction points are and try to remove those. Sometimes you can't remove them. You know, it may be that they can't, the product is too expensive or that they can't find the product or, you know, things like that, um, that you can't really influence as a company, but the, um, or can't influence for them. Um, but the whole notion is that if you have a group of people who uh, advocate for you, your zealots, uh, you want to find and if they tell three people and those people tell three people, then it becomes algorithm, algorithmic. <laughs> um, say it for me, will you please? <laughs> and, algorithmic. And, and, um, the, um, and, and so that's what we try to do because you're trying to build business. You're trying to build customers. You're trying to build fans. You're trying to build your community. So, um, so that's, that's how it's done. Mm. That's it's interesting so the artificial intelligence what what are you actually doing with that because I, I know you mentioned about um you know these these attributes that you're creating can become alg algorithmic can't say the word now um what what are you doing with the ai are you demonstrating to people how uh they like the, the the model that you're generating can reach a wide number of people is is that the purpose of it well, that's all in process, right? And that's the part that uh, d d varies depending upon the client and what they're trying yeah. to accomplish. But the notion for that is that um, 
you want to surround your advocates or your zealots with uh, all seven pieces of code in a kind of an opt-in fashion. For example, um, and there are some companies that are already doing this, but they're doing it manually. For example, I mean, it's the usual suspects, right? It's Amazon, Apple, Nike, uh, there may be some other people out there, yeah. Netflix maybe, where they are, um, we connect with them every day. Like every day you'll hear something from about Apple if you're an Apple person. And it'll be about what Tim Cook's doing. It'll be about the stock price. It'll be about the new phone or the old phone or the new laptop or the old app laptop and <laughs> comparing it to you know uh, a pc or whatever and all, all these kinds of things and um and and you know we also hear about the i mean when they were building the headquarters we'd hear about the you know the donut or bagel shaped headquarters and and so forth but because it's stock price, which is about finance, because it's about the newer phone, uh, it's about product design. If it's about Tim Cook, it's about personality and so forth. So you're talking about different aspects of the brand. And because you're an Apple person, you just opt in for all of this. And you're willing to, it's not like the Energizer Bunny banging away on the drum over and over and over and over and over again, right? So the, um, so that's how you stay connected. And when you think about it, you know, we are all members of many tribes, many different communities. You know, just if you're a sports fan, if you play, you know, a soccer fan, if you're a basketball fan, hockey fan, baseball fan, right? Those are all separate communities. They have their own lexicon. They have their own rituals. Uh, they have their own creation stories, their own heroes. Uh, and, and so forth, and non-believers, the opposing teams, right? And so it's very, in their own leaders. And so it's, you get to understand that we are all members of many, like micro tribes, if you will, mm -hmm. right? Many different brands. And um, if you're a doctor, lawyer, uh, you're a coder, you're a designer, you're, um, you work on cars, you're, you know, you're a mechanic and so forth they have all their own lexicon, their own creation stories and uh, rituals and so forth. And so put all that together and you have, you know, daily life, <laughs> right? When I walk around and I see things happening and I go, oh yeah, ritual. Or, oh, they, uh, I was at Starbucks this morning before, you know, we, we got on the air here and, uh, you know, they have, it's the holiday season. So they have totally new cups and, you know, icon, right? And they've changed the sleeve on it. So the face of the, of the little mermaid uh, is big. <laughs> She's really in your face. Mm. And, you know, another icon. And they, they change, uh, Starbucks happens to continually sh change the shape of the cups. Uh, I don't know if they do this for, um, uh, to try to cut costs or, or if they're just, but b because they do change the shape of the cup a little bit subtly, the, um, uh, because you go there every day, pretty much, uh, it, it creates a new sensory or tactile feeling in your hand, and it makes the, the experience a little bit different, just a little bit different, which makes it not boring. Mm. You know, I, I, I really do love looking at um, brands with those seven simple steps, because I've always seen something like the the cups as a touch point which represents 
you know the the overall uh brand but when you actually start to think about it as rituals and icons it suddenly makes everything a lot more easier to to understand because branding you know when you read i've read lots of different books on branding and a lot of the books make the the whole process seem very complex but when you are focusing on specific areas in the way that you are it makes it easier to understand and implement and even um just seeing what brands are doing it is easy to think oh, yeah, that that's a ritual within their business or that's an icon of their business it's, it's a clever system oh thank you yeah it's very workable and, and it is i guess it is simple <laughs> it is, but yeah. one of the people ask me well but at the same time, it's very complex, right? And that, I think that's why there are so few truly great brands because it is, uh, it's seven things. It's not one thing. It's not the why, you know, and it's seven things. And so people always ask me, Pat, I know it's seven things, but, you know, they're yearning for what's the one thing that's more important than all the rest of them. And that's really the point, Ian, is that it's seven things. And the uh they're all important they're all equally important and a lot of brands just uh have two or three you know a lot of companies i should say have two or three but if you have all seven you are uh you probably dominate and if you have all seven you really need to keep it's not enough just to identify them and throw the thing throw them out there um you have to keep them they're tools and you have to keep them relevant and resonant and brands grow stale because they don't. Uh, an easy way to refresh a brand, of course, as we all know, is to re redo the logo, right? Or redo the website. Oh yeah, we got our branding done. Well, that's just the surface. That's really like uh, putting on, you know, changing your makeup, right? And so the, or your lipstick. And it's, you really have to, uh, dig in a little bit deeper and investigate it. I mean, icons alone are very, um, they engage all the senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and so forth. And so when you start looking at it like that, the um, your, your brand becomes so much richer and so much um, better developed. And in some for some people, impregnable. You know, I mean, you get a truly powerful brand out there. People look at Nike and they look at Apple and they go, my God, we could never create that. But overlooking, totally overlooking the fact that, you know, Apple started in a garage, you know, with the two Steves. And Nike started with um, Phil Knight selling Nikes out of the trunk of his car at swap meets. You know, it doesn't get much more humble or ordinary <laughs> well, potential for failure was huge um but they were able to tough it out and through luck and gut instinct and hiring some smart partners along the way um, nike had widen and kennedy uh, apple had shy a day and they you know smart people who were able to give them um a point of difference out there in the world and help them along and probably good investors as well who were patient and kept funding them and realized that the dream, right. And their own, um, consistency and their own, uh, will to succeed. So 
that's what makes uh, brands great. And you have to kind of have all of those things. So we like to say that when you use Primal Code, that you inherently get, and it doesn't cost anything to put this together, right? It does cost something to execute, but it always costs something to execute. So you might as well be executing uh, in a smart fashion. But the you inherently, just by pulling the seven pieces of code together, you have trust, you have vision, you have relevance, you have resonance, you have a set of values. Um, did I say vision? I'll say vision again. Uh, and all of these things that other brands spend billions of dollars trying to create um, in a superficial way and, and just barely succeed. I mean, Coca-Cola spends a billion dollars a year and, you know, people drift away from Coke. Um, but they're also, you know, hard, diehard zealots of Coca-Cola. But they're being nibbled to death by ducks, right? And so many different kinds of, you can only drink so much in a day, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I wanted to uh, make sure to ask you about was uh, the, 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 the term creed. Um, I know you use that to describe a, a company's belief system. That's well, one area where I... Uh, struggle to understand how you create like how how do you create a belief system for a company is do they come to you with that already or are you having to extract that from them yeah you know through conversations and put it together uh, it's a, yeah it depends who it is and where they are but it's a combination first of all the creed is not the belief system the creed okay. i mean seven pieces of code create the belief system the creed is just part of that belief system so okay. the belief system is the origin story the creed the, the icons, rituals, uh, lexicon, non-believers, and leader. And once you put that together, then you have you, cre you have created the belief system, right. which is a, a narrative. Uh, the creed is really why do you exist? Which, why do you, um, what's your reason for being? Uh, Simon Sinek calls it the why. And so this is, the creed is probably the hardest thing for people to parse through. Um, we worked with the Halo guys, I don't know, the first person shooter game. Mm -hmm. And um, they had already created a, a successful billion dollar brand franchise for Microsoft. But we spent three hours uh, one morning, uh, we have what we call primal digs. We spent three hours with those guys, the founder and you know, all the key stakeholders and uh, discussing why they came to work in the morning. And for some, it was just to build the best damn games on the planet for others uh, they wanted to become more like disney um because they already had they had not only the game but they had books and they had uh, there was talk of a movie they had merchandise and all these other things and so there was there were reasons for them to want to expand in that direction and others you know had other reasons and so here are people um you know under 30 who had create, already created a billion dollar franchise and they were disgusting, you know, for three hours, you know, why did, why did they exist? And so it's not just, that's just to demonstrate that it's not easy and you can be successful. You can be a successful company and kind of, you know, stumble your way through some of this stuff, but to really become uh, vibrant and long lasting, you need to sort through all this and figure it out. So, so the creed is really does uh, just do it, think different, uh, uh, 
freedom, independence, uh, Semper Fi for Marine Corps. Um, these, the, the creed has usually been synthesized down to just a couple of words by a series of uh, writers, basically. And um, it's not the mission, uh, which tends to be paragraphs long, um, but it's really been synthesized down. You know, for HP, it was one word, invent, for a while. Think different, two words. Just do it, three words. So is the the creed essentially a tagline? I know there's different terms for it. Are you using the the term creed rather than tagline to explain? Uh, Traditionally, it it generally becomes the tagline, you know, um, uh, engineered like no other car in the world, you know, or uh, UPS is used to be um, the tightest ship in the shipping business. Uh, sometimes, which was reflexive in this, in the way, in the sense that it was not only for consumers or users of UPS uh, to understand that they were careful and deliberate about delivering packages, but it was also uh, UPS. I worked on UPS, so I have in, sort of inside knowledge. They were also trying to uh, talk to their employees because they were uh, trying to become the tightest bit, uh, ship in the shipping business. And they were their long-term goal was to have global supply chain logistics. And they weren't, um, there was a lot of human engineering that went into that company that they wanted to uh, drive home and make important to their employees. So uh, saying that we're the entire, uh, we're the tightest ship in the shipping business was, both to their employees about here, this is why we exist. This is why you come to work in the morning as much as it was to customers, you know, use us instead of FedEx. Yeah. It's a really good um, uh, summary of words that communicate all the right things, isn't it? Now we're we're nearly at an hour. um, So I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. Hopefully would be an interesting one. So based on everything that you know today, if you was to travel back in time and meet your younger self and you could just give yourself one golden nugget of information, what would that piece of information be? Huh? Do you ask everyone this question? Not every time. Sometimes I do. <laughs> I know it's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would Marty say? No, I think that the, um, uh, what just leaps to mind is that everything's going to be okay. You know, I think that uh, as designers, writers, uh, creative people, you know, we work against deadlines and we drive ourselves crazy and um, or can, and we get frustrated, we get angry, we try to do great work and um, win awards or just have the, have the clients be happy, you know, and put something out into the world that's new and different and um, kind of smacks people on the side of the head, right? And um so in the course of that, it can be very frustrating. It can be very time-consuming and intense. And uh, um, I think if you just work hard and um, remain thoughtful, it'll, it'll all come out. It'll all work itself out. Well, hopefully other people listening to this will take that advice on board. You know, if it is that one golden nugget advice that you give your younger self, then everyone needs to take that on board. And I think it's good advice and a good way to wrap up the interview. So Patrick, 
thank you so much for coming on. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation about primal branding. Um, I'm keen to check out the books. I really do like the the idea of seven uh, steps. It, it makes uh, something that's relatively complicated come across as quite easy to understand, and it creates quite a simple framework that you can reference and uh, constantly go back to to make sure that you're implementing it within your business. So, um, yeah, I'm keen to learn more about it and hopefully people listening to this will be in in the same uh, boat as me. Thanks, Ian. It's been a lot of fun. really appreciate your time. If you enjoyed this interview, let myself and Patrick know by giving us a shout out on social media. I always really love and appreciate it when listeners uh, reach out to me and let them know that they've been enjoying the show. And I know that Patrick will love it too. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know that you've listened. Let us know you've enjoyed it. And maybe let us know what you got out of listening to the episode. So to learn more about Patrick and his agency, Primal Branding, head to primalbranding.co. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to Patrick's books, social profiles and any other resources uh, discussed in this interview. To find the show notes, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.9 where I've also included a full transcription of the interview too. If you'd like to discuss building belief systems with me and over 7,500 identity designers from around the world, why not join the Logo Geek community on Facebook? It's totally free to join and you can find it just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community. If you've been enjoying the Logo Geek podcast and want to give back in some way, why not write a review on iTunes? Uh, like I said earlier, I always love to hear from you guys. Um, it's actually not that common. So if you can spare a moment to give some feedback, write a review on iTunes and it will be greatly appreciated. And if you have done that, thank you so much. Uh, I genuinely really appreciate it. So that is it for this week. Bye. We'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.